Today's scripture comes from Proverbs 12:25 and Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 through 7. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The grass withers and flowers fade, but the word of our God endures forever. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our third virtual service. Um, hopefully by now these services are a little bit more comfortable for you than it was just two weeks ago. Uh, and I say this because I have no idea how long these services are going to go on for. Uh, but at the very least, I do know this. Uh, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. And as long as God still sits on the throne, uh, this will not be forever and things are eventually going to be okay. Um, but until then, I'm extremely grateful for the technology that we have and for the people in our own community uh, that are hard at work behind the scenes making these virtual services possible. Uh, so thanks again for tuning in. And here's the game plan for today and for the next few weeks ahead. Uh, we are going to pivot away from our series on 1 Corinthians. Um, I still believe that God wanted us to go through 1 Corinthians for a reason. And so we will come back to it at a later time. Uh, but for today and for the next few weeks ahead, we're going to pivot away from 1 Corinthians to a new series that is about our quarantine life uh, that we are entitling What to Do When I Feel dot, dot, dot. And that could be what to do when I feel isolated and lonely, uh, hopeless, powerless, and for today, we're going to be taking a look at the two dominant emotions that I have heard the most over the past two weeks, and that is anxiety and worry. Now, let me explain why we're doing this series and why we're taking a look at anxiety and worry uh, in particular today. Uh, in Paul's second letter to the Corinthians in chapter 11, uh, he talks a little bit about his own uh, difficulties and hardships that he has experienced uh, in his own life. Um, being hungry, thirsty, homeless, um, being stoned almost to death, which I can't even imagine. Being flogged almost to death, being shipwrecked three times, and the list goes on and on and on. And at the very end of that soliloquy, he says, and if that wasn't enough, I face and I bear daily the anxieties of all our people in all our churches. And I have to say that I've, I've always known that this verse where Paul says he bears the anxieties of all the people, I've always known that this verse was in the Bible, but I never really related experientially to what Paul was saying um, until now. You know, there are certain pressures that come when you start a church and, uh, or when you do any kind of tech startup, um, but that's different from bearing the anxieties of your people. And throughout the past five years of our own church, uh, there have been pockets of people with a lot of anxiety and pockets of people that have gone through some intense hardship, but never at the, the scale that it is today. Uh, over the past two weeks, 
We have gotten texts, slacks, emails, phone calls from people in our own community that have lost their jobs, who have closed down their stores, um, who have postponed their weddings. Um, I've talked to parents who are overwhelmed and going crazy because their kids are at home and they can't get any work done. I've talked to others of you who are bored out of your minds and you can't watch Netflix anymore. And in many ways, boredom can be even more dehumanizing than overworking because we're meant to have meaning and purpose in our lives. And when we're not working, we feel very meaningless and very purposeless. And on a very personal level, um, I have a dear cousin who got married last week and I couldn't go and there were only like three or four people in attendance. Uh, just yesterday, I found out that my uncle died of a heart attack. And I have personal friends as well that have COVID-19 right now. And um, so I feel, I feel the anxiety and one of the highest callings of a pastor and the people of God for that matter is that we bear and carry the anxieties of others. And we also know that God carries our anxieties as well. But when we don't give our anxieties to other people and we don't give our anxieties to God for him to carry, what ends up happening is that we carry our own anxieties. And when we do that, what ends up happening is that our anxieties end up carrying us. And they take our thoughts to very dangerous and dark imaginary places uh, that are not really healthy for us. I have no idea who said this, but someone once said, uh, I'm a simple person who hides a thousand feelings behind my happiest smile. And maybe you can relate to that. And so the goal of this series then is to uncover what those thousand feelings are that you might be experiencing, to not only uncover those thousand feelings, but to bring them to the surface and to replace those thousand feelings with the peace of God in our lives. And it seems to me if there is one thing that we all need in this cultural moment right now, it is a bit more peace. And so that's where we're heading for uh, this series. And so let me first define what um, anxiety is. In the Greek, uh, the word anxiety uh, is the word marimno, and it literally means to be in pieces. And oftentimes when we're anxious, our thoughts are in a hundred different places, and we tend to lose uh, focus. And so I'll give you one example of this from Scripture itself. And it's a, sto a story of Martha and Mary. And Martha and Mary uh, meet Jesus and the 12 disciples in their hometown. And so they invite him and the 12 to their home. So this wasn't planned. This wasn't on their GCAL. It was spontaneous and impromptu. And Martha, being the older sister, being the responsible one, uh, all of a sudden has a hundred different thoughts. Uh, do we swift for the floor? Do we have any food in the kitchen? How am I going to look as a hostess? And so as soon as they arrive to their home, Martha darts into the kitchen to prepare a charcuterie board and she's slaving away and all of a sudden she hears a burst of laughter and it's from her sister Mary and she's cracking up with Jesus and the 12 disciples and all of a sudden a thought bubbles up into her head. Why in the world is she so irresponsible? Another thought bubbles up into her head. Why do I always have to be the responsible one? And then another thought bubbles up into her head. 
I'm tired of always having to be the mature one. She's been like this her entire life. It's not fair. And after her blood starts boiling and she murders her sister a few times in her head, she storms into the living room. And what's so fascinating about this story is that instead of calling her sister Mary out, telling her to get into the kitchen and help, interestingly enough, she goes to Jesus first. And she says to them, teacher, don't you care that my sister is not helping me while I'm doing all the work? Tell her to get in and help me. And after she says that, Jesus says to her, Martha, Martha. And anytime someone's name is mentioned, two times in a row. It's a sign of endearment and affection and love. And so Jesus says to her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious about many things. You are marimno, but only one thing is required and necessary. And Mary has chosen what is better. And here you see the juxtaposition of Martha and Mary. Mary's thoughts, she's anxious about many things, whereas Mary is single-minded and singularly focused on Jesus. And I do wonder if Jesus were to walk into your living room or your bedroom right now, what would he say to you? Would he say to you, John Doe, John Doe, Jane Doe, Jane Doe, you are anxious about many things, but only one thing is necessary, and that is for you to fix your gaze upon me. What are you anxious about right now? The nature of anxiety is that it tends to spread our thoughts everywhere and we tend to lose focus on who God is. But anxiety not only spreads our thoughts into a hundred different places, but it also has the ability to weigh us down. And so if you take a look with me at Proverbs 12, 25, it says this, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. Uh, David Platt recently gave a great example of um, Proverbs chapter 12 and anxiety. Uh, and he says, if you've ever gone hiking or backpacking before in, in Europe or Southeast Asia, you've worn one of those heavy duty backpacks. Now imagine for a moment that you're wearing a special backpack and every time you have an anxious thought, a brick is placed inside of that backpack. And so you might be a student and you have anxiety about your GPA. That's a backpack. You might be a working professional, um, but you hate your job and your career and you have no idea what to do next. That's a brick. You might love your career, but you're older and you're single now and your parents are giving you a lot of pressure to get married. That's a brick. You might be married, but marriage is not the Disney fairy tale that you anticipated it was gonna be. Instead, marriage is more like a nightmare and that can feel like a heavy, heavy brick. Um, you might have a great marriage, but for whatever reason, you can't have kids. That's a brick. Uh, you might have kids, but there might be something wrong with them. That's a brick. Your kids might be perfectly okay, but they're not getting married now and they're still living with you and you're not the grandmother or grandfather that you anticipated you were gonna be by this age. Now that's a break. Now throw in a global pandemic. And so now if you're a student, you're worried if you're gonna get a job after you graduate, that's a break. You might have a job, but 
you're not sure how much longer you're gonna have it or you just got fired and you're not sure how you're gonna pay your bills, that's a brick. Um, your wedding got postponed, that's another brick. Your kids are at home, that is, that's a boatload of bricks. Now, can you feel how heavy this backpack is? Can you feel the weight of this bag? See, even, even though anxiety is not something that we can see, it's definitely something that we can feel. And when anxiety weighs us down and they're sort of, our inner world is experiencing a lot of turmoil, our inner world eventually leaks out into our outer world. And so you can actually, eventually you can see when someone is anxious because of the, the weightiness that you feel on that person's shoulders. But thankfully, uh, this verse doesn't end with just anxiety and a man's heart weighs him down, but it finishes off the verse by saying, but a good word makes him glad. And it seems to me that what we all need in this cultural moment right now is a good word. And that good word comes to us from Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. And this is what it says. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, if there is one person that should know a lot about anxiety, it is the Apostle Paul, because he's writing this letter to the Philippians from prison. Now, we're getting a small glimpse of what prison life is like with our cabin fever and social isolation. Um, but at the end of the day, we still have a bed, we have food, we have water. Most of us still have toilet paper. Um, but for Paul, those were luxuries that he didn't have. And yet, he still has the audacity to say, do not be anxious about anything. Now, anytime anyone ever uses the word anything or everything or always, those are hyperbolic statements. But here's why we know Paul is not being hyperbolic. First of all, if there's anyone with a situational, circumstantial license to have anxiety, it's someone like him, and yet he doesn't. But here's the second reason. The Bible never promises that our problems will go away, but it does promise that our anxiety can. And there are two reasons why your anxieties can go away. Two reasons how to do it as well. Number one, by remembering that the Lord is near. And number two, through prayer. So remembering that the Lord is near. For many Christians, uh, the most famous verses in Philippians chapter four, our verses six and seven where it says, do not be anxious about anything, and understandably so. But it often comes to the neglect of verse five. And in verse five, it says, let your gentleness be evident to all, the Lord is near. Uh, but the word gentleness here doesn't mean someone that's very soft-spoken, uh, but the word gentleness here describes someone that is poised and even keeled and composed in the midst of the chaos that is all around them. And one of the reasons why we can be composed in the midst of the chaos is because the Lord is near. Now, remembering that God is near to us is easier said than done, which is why scripture over and over again reminds us that he is. And I mentioned this before, but the most frequent and repeated command in the Bible is fear not or do not be afraid. 
And more often than not, it is accompanied by the phrase, for I am with you, for the Lord is with you. Uh, but again, remembering that God is with us and near to us is easier said than done. Um, Victor Hugo, the famous writer of Les Mis, once said that um, God is behind everything, but everything hides God. But one of the great things about suffering is that it has the ability to make God more visible because when people are suffering, one of the first places that they look to for help is not the government, uh, but one of the first places that they look to is faith and religion. And um, uh, Richard Dawkins, uh, a few years ago, um, he and the British Humanist Association um, plastered all over buses in downtown London a, a huge poster that said, um, there's probably no God. Now stop worrying and enjoy your life. And what Dawkins is saying is that the absence of God is what leads to our joy and the, and the absence of our anxieties and worries. And what I would like to suggest to us today is that I think that Christianity and faith uh, does have the resources um, that secularism does not. Uh, Andy Bannister uh, gives a good example of this, and he says, Imagine for a moment that you're down on your luck. Life has dealt you a series of terrible hands, and nothing seems to be going your way. You've recently lost your job. Your wife has just left you and taken the kids with her. This very morning, a letter from your bank has arrived declaring you bankrupt. The doctor's surgery has just rung to inform you with uh, that those worrying headaches are actually Crutzfeld Jakob disease. Life is really sucky. However, have no fear. Put all that aside, fret no more, for there is hope. There is an end to all worries. There is, I hear you cry, wiping back the tears. Yes, there is, because there is no God. There is nobody out there who is ultimately going to help with any pulling. You're alone in a universe that cares as little about you and your enjoyment as it does about the fate of the amoeba, the ant, or the aardvark. There's no hope, there's no justice, and there's certainly nothing inherently wrong with poverty. Life favors the winners, some get the breaks, and others get the sticky end of the stick. Enjoy your life. Nice work if you can get it. And so one of the things that Bannister is saying is that um, at its best, secularism is survival of the fittest and randomness and chance. But what Christianity offers to us is resources that are better than just randomness and chance because we have a God uh, that is by our side. And um, one example of this is um, the story of Horatio Spafford. Um, Horatio Spafford was the famous author of the song, It Is Well. Uh, which we're going to sing at the conclusion of our service. Um, but in the late 1800s, uh, Spafford lost his business in the Chicago fires. Uh, but to make matters worse, on a vacation, on a ship ride to London, um, his wife uh, and four daughters um, who were on the ship, that ship crashed into another ship. And subsequently, his four daughters drowned and died, and his wife was found unconscious. And it is really out of the crucible of suffering and pain uh, that Spafford wrote to him, it is well with my soul. Now, how in the world can someone say, 
it is well with my soul. How can they have that, that inner fortitude, peace, composure, and poise instead of anxiety and worry uh, when the world around them is falling apart? Uh, for starters, it's because we also believe in a God who lost his son, who died on our behalf, and who relates with us. But secondly, it's also because of the gift of prayer. Prayer is one of the primary ways we remember the comfort and the nearness of God. And in verse 6, it says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Uh, as far as I know, I don't know of anyone that's ever said, Thank goodness I was anxious and worried. Otherwise, I don't know how things would have turned out. But I do know a lot of people, maybe even you, who have said, Thank goodness I prayed, because this is an answered prayer. And otherwise, I don't know how things would have turned out. And this isn't to say that every time we pray that our circumstances and situations turn out the way that we want them to. Um, that's not it at all. Um, prayer might not change one thing that is outside of you. But one thing prayer can change is everything that is inside of you. Your disposition, your posture, your perspective, and your heart. Uh, someone once said, once a man was asked, what did you gain by regularly praying to God? And the man replied, nothing. But let me tell you what I lost. Anger, ego, greed, depression, insecurity, and fear of death. Sometimes the answer to our prayers is not gaining but losing, which ultimately is the gain. And one of the things that we gain through prayer is the peace of God, which is why in verse 7 it says, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Uh, there was once a survey that was done where people were asked to um, picture what they thought of when they heard the word peace. And the first thing that most people thought of was like a lake or a peaceful meadow or the beach. Um, but one thing no one ever pictured was people and one of the reasons why we are the last thing to be pictured when we think about the word peace is because oftentimes there is a war that is waging within us with regards to our feelings and thoughts we are hardly anything but peaceful uh, with the anxieties that we experience and yet this verse is saying that there is a peace of God that transcends all understanding that is able to guard our hearts and our minds and the word that is used here for guard is the word fortress. And what does a fortress do? It circles around something in order to protect it. And what this verse is promising us is that the peace of God is able to encircle our hearts and our minds and to be a fortress around us in the midst of the chaos and anxieties that surround us. But the only way to get the peace of God is by first making peace with God. So oftentimes we want the peace of God without any reconciliation with the God of peace. Um, but that's really the way that we get the peace uh, that can only come from God. And the way that we do it is, is first of all, by this, by acknowledging that um, the primary weapon that we use against God is distrust. Um, why else do we have anxiety? It's really because we don't really trust in God. Oswald Chambers once said, anxiety is contemplating your future without God in it. That is distrust. 
Scott Sauls once said, worry is a form of meditation. It turns up the volume on fear and turns down the volume on God's assurance and care. And that anxiety, um, that kind of uh, lack of trust uh, doesn't lead to us flourishing more, but it leads to our deflourishing. Uh, there's a fictional story about uh, death walking into a city and the gatekeeper stops him and says, what are you doing here? And death says, I have come to take 1,000 lives tonight. And so throughout the whole day, the gatekeeper goes throughout the city warning everyone that death is coming, death is coming, but to no avail because by the end of the day, um, death had taken a lot of lives. In fact, it had taken more than 1,000 lives. It had taken 10,000 lives. And so the gatekeeper you know, confronts death and says, I thought you were only going to take 1,000 lives. Why are there 10,000 people that are dead? And death responds by saying, I did only take 1,000 lives. Anxiety and worry took the rest. And yet here in this passage, we are offered a peace uh, that transcends all understanding because unlike anxiety and worry um, that comes to kill us, the story of Christianity is all about a God who was killed for us. Jesus came to die for our distrust, our self-autonomy, in order to reconcile us back to God. And in Isaiah 53, verse 5, it says, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was on him. And what Isaiah the prophet is saying is that uh, Jesus died for our lack of trust in God. Jesus died for our self-autonomy. Jesus died for um, our anxiety and worry where we contemplate a future without God in it. He died for all of those things in order for us to have peace with God. Because it's precisely when we have peace with God that we can have the peace of God. And again, it seems to me that is really, really what we need uh, in our moment right now. But do you trust him? Um, and I'll close with this story. Uh, there was a woman who uh, was about to get married and her best friend said that she would take care of all the flowers. Um, but the problem was that on the night before her wedding day, she walked into the church and the flowers were all over the place. Uh, they were still in gallons of water. None of them were prepared or organized together for you know, table decor and, and for the aisles and the the church walls and whatnot and um, so she was frantic and anxious and worried and her best friend said um, don't worry about it I'll take care of it now at that point the bride had two choices she could either not trust her friend and worry about it or she could trust her friend and not worry about it and sleep in peace and so that is what she did she decided to trust her friend and not worry about it and not be anxious about it. And she slept well that night. And when you know it, on the next day, all of the flowers were precisely where they needed to be and everything was beautiful. Every day we have an option either to trust God or not to trust God. But it's precisely when we don't trust God that anxiety and worry are born. But it's when we do trust him that we can honestly say that we are not anxious about anything because God is near us. 
Um, this is the reason why Victor Hugo um, once said, um, go to sleep in peace because God is awake. And I know that everyone in our community is going through a lot right now, um, but I want us to listen to the words of Victor Hugo and the words of the Apostle Paul, that no matter what you're going through right now, and I know it can feel very heavy, you can go to sleep in peace because God is awake. Let's pray together.